Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. If you have them, we'll continue our study through Luke's gospel by picking up right where we left off last week. We have seven verses to cover today. Luke 22, uh, 24 to 30. You know, it's been almost two years. <laughs> you may not feel it. I sure do. It's been almost two years we've been in the gospel of Luke. And like any biographer, you know, Luke, the writer, does not give equal time to every segment of Jesus's life. It took him 19 chapters to go from birth all the way to 33 years. And then from chapter 19 through the end, so five chapters cover one week of our Lord's life. It's like everything slows down and we slow down and we take smaller sections where we can to look at the life of Christ. It's like this, we're not standing back looking at a painting. You see where we are now in our study and where Luke has us, we're actually going up to the wall it's hanging on and I am, you know, I'm looking at like this and I'm looking at the brush strokes of the painting. We're not looking at a day in the life of Jesus. Men and women, we're looking at a few minutes in the life of Jesus. When we do this, it makes it extra important that we understand the broader context. So we're not just looking at that. We're going, wait, this fits into the whole context. And so I want to take a moment and get us back to where we are. Because we're in a very specific place. We're in an upper room. Uh, candles are lit. They're serving a meal. Michael prepared us for that two weeks ago. We actually did the meal last weekend. If those of you who were here, you know that there were tables just like this that lined both aisles and all the way across the front. And we stood around these tables and we experienced uh, the Lord's table. It's a celebration for them of the Passover meal, that which they have been doing for almost 1,500 years where they remembered, oh yes, God delivered us from slavery in Egypt. And the way God delivered us is that he sent the death angel, but we, we killed the lamb. And the blood of the lamb went on our doors, so to speak. And so when the angel passed over our doors, we didn't die. But the Egyptians who held us in bondage, the firstborn was taken and God delivered us out of slavery and into freedom and rest. They're celebrating that meal. And Jesus memorializes the meal such that it, it has new meaning. It, it is fulfilled, if we can say it this way. So that this meal is no longer for us a reminder, oh yes, God delivered the nation Israel out of bondage. No, no, the, the, the meal for us is God delivers all men and women everywhere from the bondage of sin by slaying the sinless lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and raised again. And we come to this table mindful of what Jesus has done. Jesus instituted the Lord's table on this very night. Jesus, from the moment he recruited, he, he called, so to speak, these, these men. I gotta tell you, this is the moment he's been looking forward to. I mean, they've done some amazing things, incredible conversations, but you'll recall last week, this is the one he says, I've eagerly desired to share this with, this is the most intimate of moments that he shares with these men, which is why what happens in verses 24 to 30 has to be one of the most heartbreaking, disappointing, 
hope-sapping exchanges that ever occurs between Jesus Christ and his disciples. It's bad enough in verses 21 to 23, you'll recall he says, you know, by the way, the one who's betraying me eats at this table. But where they go next verges on inexcusable, unacceptable. And as we've reminded you throughout our study, uh, and you can do this with the Bible anywhere, but in these gospels, when you and I get to a place where we're starting to go, you guys, I can't believe you guys, disciples, when we get right there, just know this. It's saying something about us. It's always saying something about us. And so when I read the passage, I want to offer these two questions for you to think about. And these are two questions, quite frankly, ask them every time you read the Bible. You read a passage, just ask this question, what does this say about me? Just you read it and go, what does this say about me? And then you also go, what does this say about Jesus? I'm telling you, ask those two questions, you'll learn a lot. What does this say about humanity? The state of a man's heart and life. What does this say about that? And what does it say about redemption and the very character and heart of God? We'll answer those two questions as we go through this passage. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray before I read it that the Spirit might teach us. I'll invite you to pray with me again. Father, we come to this time in your word where we literally eat it. We, we, we're here to consume it. And we want to do so by the power and, and enabling of your Spirit. And so we'll ask now, would you give us eyes to see this text and minds to understand it? and hearts to receive it? And would you by your spirit so transform our wills that by your spirit we would trust it? In Christ's name, amen. Look at your Bibles if you would. And I'm gonna just simply ask you to follow along as I read this passage. Here's our text for today. Remember they're in the upper room. They've just shared a, a most intimate meal and time. By the way, this is hours they're up in this room. And notice where Luke says things go. Verse 24, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. It's the Greek word megas. Makes sense, right? Mega, big. I'm bigger than you. I'm more than you. Which one of them to be greatest? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But, contrast, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Father, we ask your blessing on this reading of your word. And we're going to consider the text like this, just as Luke gives it to us. He gives it to us like this. If you're an outline kind of person, he gives a principle and a promise. It's that simple. The first section, the first paragraph, here's a principle. 
We're going to dive into that a little more, but there's a principle. And then verses 28 to 30, here's a promise. Let's look at the principle first. Again, I'm just going to cut to the quick because it's not a very difficult text at all, really. Here's the principle. So if you're in a note taker, you know, you can write this down. Greatness is service. That's the principle. Don't need to fluff it up. Don't need to do anything with it. Greatness is service. Now understand, the principle is not if you serve, you will become great. That's not the principle. The principle is that serving, the act of serving, the service itself, in and of itself, is greatness. In that day, people of influence and wealth Here's how they would use it. You know, just like in our day, so, so, you know, nothing's new under the sun, uh, their tax revenues generally fell short. But rather than raising taxes, what they would do is that the wealthy in a community would give. And everybody liked that because then they got, you know, needs met. But it was also understood that when a wealthy person gave, they went up a notch. And then when they gave again the next year, they went up. And, and this, is how, this is how people climbed the social ladder to greatness. It, it was the, to their advantage, so to speak, that the tax rolls were short. And everybody liked it this way because it also offered an, a, a, an avenue, so to speak, for wealthy people to become benefactors, to, to come, I don't how do you say it, to become mega, to become important, rock stars. It was not philanthropy. It was not generosity, <laughs> It was self-serving use of their means and their wealth. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, it's not that way with you. That's, that's not the way it works. He gives an illustration of a, of a meal and says, you know, who, who, who's more important, the people eating the meal or the people serving? Just go here with me. And I don't mean to demean anyone at all by your role or your job, not in any way, but this is just who we are, I think. If you go out to eat after this, I don't care where you go, go to any restaurant. If you ate out this weekend, this week, when you go in a restaurant, picture in your mind's eye the restaurant, you're looking at it. And there's people sitting in there, et cetera. And then there are other people carrying food. And there are other people carrying dishes. And there are other people serving. In our own mind's eye, who do we think is greater? The servers or the people who are eating? Just seriously, who do we think is greater? Not a trick question. The ones eating, that's all Jesus is saying. And he goes, exactly. I get that, yeah. If you're, if you're there and you're gonna give, big, give a big tip, you're gonna pay for your meal, you're greater than the person serving you. Totally get it. But, Jesus goes, I am among you as one of the servers. You know, I said earlier that what happens in this upper room, it's hours long. John's gospel takes five chapters just to describe the evening. And so when Luke describes this, it's not everything and it's not always in chronological order. And it's understood that when he said this thing about, I'm among you who serves, he wasn't so much referring to what he served at the table as this. This whole dispute generally, it's, it, it, we really believe it, it, it kind of started right early on in the evening because when they came in the room, it mattered where you sat in that culture. We already know these guys are struggling with greatness. Back in chapter nine, they had the same, they had the same argument. Well, now they come to dinner, big dinner, and they walk in the room and uh, they're, you know, where are you gonna sit? I don't know, you had not seen us yet. I don't know, where are you gonna sit? I don't know, I hope I'm, I hope I'm buying. I don't, you know, they're doing this. And then this was 
absolutely cultural in that day when you came into a room and you came to a meal, there would be a, a servant who would wash everyone's feet. I mean, that's just the way it is. They, they, you know, they're walking in sandals all day long. They come into a meal like this. There's going to be a servant to wash feet. By the way, when it says you've got to become younger in that culture, the young did not have much honor. Not a bad thing. It's just it comes with age. It comes with age, the honor. And all, all Jesus is saying is, look, you're going to serve like me. You've got to be like a child in the sense of, you know, you, you, don't ha- you don't take the place of honor. No, 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 no. You take the place of the child, the one who serves. Well, can you imagine the conversation that was going on? around that table. I mean, if, if we got it recorded here, they're arguing. Don't you know there's conversations? So- Have you got your feet washed? Mm-mm, me neither. What's up? I thought they came to make preparations. I mean, where's the slave? I mean, where's the, where's the servant who's going to walk? I don't know. Man, what are we going to do? I have no idea. What are you going to do? I don't know. And in the midst of this, can you believe this? Jesus, the son of the living God, picks up the bowl and picks up the towel. And he comes down and he's got to physically get below whoever and washes their feet. And if I were to do that to you, even it would be so awkward because we don't do that, but it would be, would it not, would it not put me below? You know what I'm saying? And so now when Jesus says, I'm among you as one who serves, see, they're going, he he is, he did. They never forgot it. And Jesus says, if you're going to, here's the principle. Greatness is service. If you know me, then you're going to humble yourself for the good of others. You're going to, you know what you're going to do? You're going to help people who can't help you. You're going to do things for others that they can't repay you. If Jesus is your Lord, if you're following him, if you're his disciple, we will serve just like he did. That's the principle. That's, that's, you know, they didn't like it, by the way. You know, it was hard for them, and, but it's sure not hard to understand. Now, here's the principle. There's something else going on here that's bigger than this principle. And I want to describe it to you, and when I describe it to you, you're going to go, I think you're going to go, well, yeah, God, he, Jesus does that all the time. That makes so much sense. And uh, I tried this last night, and I didn't, I didn't have my little... My little thing here to illustrate this and so this morning I grabbed it and and it's very low tech but it's um I'm a teacher and honestly and those of you who are teachers room you know this you'll try anything if you know to to, to make a point so so I, I tried this I want you to think about a greater principle going on here in this way we've often said you know the Bible describes this age and the age to come now let me say it like this there's there's earth and there's heaven Okay, let me say it like this. There's the kingdom of this world, and men and women, we know there's the kingdom of God. Okay? So, uh, no illustration's perfect. This isn't, this isn't going to go perfect, but, but stick with me uh, for a moment. I want you to imagine that this is the kingdom of God. Can I say it this way? The kingdom of God is blue. <laughs> it's blue. And, you know, this is the kingdom of the world. Uh, this is uh, life in, in this world. It's, it's yellow. Everybody with me so far? Um, what's obviously clear in this is they're not the same. 
I mean, we're talking, they are really, really different, right? So here's the big, big principle. When Jesus comes to planet earth, okay, he's blue. And when he comes to this planet, men and women, this is the high tech part. (laughs) He stays blue because he's holy, because he's of another kingdom. He's fully man and fully God, men and women. His humanity didn't change color. He's human, but he's holy. And when he walked this planet, we all know this. My goodness, was he different. My goodness, was he distinct. And he was killed for it. Now, when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, right? We know the spirit of God comes to live with us. We know we're born again. We're given a new, men and women, we are, we, when we trust Christ, we are given the very person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. But we also take on the values, the mission, the heart, the character of the kingdom to come. And so when we live on this planet, you know, <laughs> which one, that's Jesus, that's me. Well, they look alike. Well, well, yeah, because it's Jesus in me. This is the way we're called to walk and live. And I want to suggest this though, that for many of us, myself included, while Christ lives in me, I walk on this world green. Now, you know why I picked green, right? Now, we look at it, honestly, you know, I look at this and I go, well, this is so silly, Lord. But I look and go, you know what? Green's actually, it doesn't look bad. I mean, mean, what's wrong with a little, what's wrong with green? Can can I say this and just cut to the quick? Because it's not blue. And this is who we are. This is who Jesus is. And if I can put it in terms that Jesus used, if we go green, in which I do, men and women, trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm green a lot, you know, but when we go green, can I say this? Jesus, all Jesus says is the salt has lost its flavor because you can't take on the world and mix it with the kingdom and have any preserving influence. That's it. And so Jesus, when he gives this principle to them here, greatness is service. That's a kingdom value. And when we bring that into this world, it will look like this. Greatness is service, period. Now let me tell you what you'll see if you go to Barnes and Noble and you go to the the business book section you'll see all sorts of green books. Here's what I mean. It's not bad, but can I, tell you, can I tell you what we tend to do with this? Service is profitable. See what I'm saying? That's true, but that's green because that's serve to get. That's serve, you know, if, you'll, if your organization will learn to serve, you'll be a great company, good to great, you know, all that stuff. That's green. It's not bad. Can I tell you this? There's no gospel in it. There's no preservation in it. If I can say it this way, when you and I go green, there's no hope in it. Now they killed Jesus because he was blue. That's life on this planet. 
They don't kill you when you're green. But that's not what we've been called to. Now, let me get off of that. That's, so, so what you see is the principle, greatness is service. Do you see though that there's a bigger principle at work here? That from the day of his public ministry till his death, he was constantly saying, it's the blue values. It's the, it's the blue character. <laughs> you know, that's what you live. There's something else going on here that I want to have you consider. Let, let, me, let me do it this way. And, and, and you need to imagine this, but I want you to be honest. What would you have done had you been Jesus and they started arguing just after you had given them this meal? Can I tell you what I'd have done? I'd have torched them. I would have, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be honest, seriously. I would have said, get out. I would have said, I'm done. Oh my gosh. I would have shamed them to no end. I'm telling you, I can't believe I do all this for you guys. Everything I've done, and you're, get out. You know, that's what I do. You know, in my my flesh, that's what I do. And and here's the thing, you know, because I do that. It's like you save up, you know, and plan and, Take your kids to the beach for a week. <laughs> and then on the way home, okay, you're about three hours out of Nashville now, and they start arguing. There's nothing to do at home. Oh my gosh. That, that house was okay, but it wasn't like the one we went to a few years ago. With, and then they say, why don't we ever go skiing like some of the other families? That, go! You know, and what do you want to do? All right, I'm going to stop at this rest stop. Everyone's going to get out except me and mom. And then we're, have a good life, right? Oh. Now, here's the, the, the eternal consequences of what's happening in this room, you know, way bigger than what I just, we just laughed at. But emotionally, is, you know, here's why I said that. Is we've, it's helpful if we're going to go, what does this tell me about Jesus? To think of Jesus in his humanity. And to go, yes, he was fully God, but men and women, he was fully man. That means he felt. And, and in his humanity, he never sinned, but he felt. What might he in his perfect humanity have felt? When these guys are doing this, what did he feel? I, I don't, I want to suggest he felt sad. I, I, can I say this? He was hurt. What, what, don't we as human? He's human. He was hurt. I think one of the biggest things I'd say is he was lonely. I'm just saying, I'm just saying he, that I think he felt lonely. Now here's where I'm going with this. In his humanity, and he felt all of that. What came out of his mouth is unbelievable, isn't it? Because in that loneliness, in that hurt, if we can say that, what came out of his mouth was, I'm going to keep teaching you. I'm going to keep teaching you. Now, let me connect this. You don't teach people you don't care about. You don't teach people you don't love. And I'll say this to every child in the room, your parents, your teachers, 
They teach you because they love you. They would not be teaching you if they didn't love you. And Jesus loved these men, John says, to the end. So while they're a group of knuckleheads right now, he loves them. And while he is experiencing loneliness that you and I will never feel, we'll never go to the extreme he felt it, he is able in that moment to love them. And I want to suggest... Stick with me. How could he love them out of that hurt and loneliness? Because Jesus Christ knew while he was alone in that circle, he was never alone. That he, read John's gospel, he looked to the Father constantly. Me and the Father are one. Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. I know the Father is pleased. He was connected to his Father and he knew I'm not alone. I'm never alone. And can I say this? He knew this. I am not unloved ever, ever. And therefore I can love these knuckleheads, which takes us all the way back to this table. So that do you understand what does Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You must abide in me. Come back to this table and eat me and drink my blood. You know, it's not cannibalism. It's the visceral picture of life. There is no life apart from nourishment, apart from feeding ourselves, apart from trusting and resting and holding to and believing that Jesus is all. This is the table. You see, so, so we too, when we get lonely, hurt. Listen, I do, I do bad things when I get lonely and hurt. Jesus loved, and you and I can too, when we're at the table. Always at the table. Nourishing ourselves with the life of Christ who lives in us. Now watch this. When you're at the table, then you can serve. So I'm going to add a principle to the principle. Greatness is service. I'm going to add something. Eat before you serve and as you serve. Eat before you serve and as you serve. Because when you and I go serve, unconnected to the table, we're running on fumes. There's no gospel in it. Uh, it's duty, not delight. I assure you, and it will come out in his words in a moment, though they were like off the reservation right now, when he spoke love to them, it was not his, he was not like, oh my, it was not duty, it was delight to love them in their foolishness. Why? Because he was in communion, constant communion with his father and the same with you and I. Don't do Christmas Express. If it's one of those things like, hey, let's do that for our family this year. Be like, yeah, okay, let's get the kids. Don't do it. Go to the table first. Nourish yourself on Christ. And out of your relationship with Christ, if that wells up in you an opportunity, then you do it. Because then it's delight. It's not even labor. It's greatness in the kingdom. Okay, I got to grab the last part of this. Verses 28 to 30. 
because in their short-sighted selfishness, I'm just amazed at our Savior that he doesn't do what I would do. You know, he does what he does. He teaches them, which I think is an expression of love. And then, oh my gosh, he doesn't just love them. Men and women, he makes a promise. Look at this. Look at the promise he makes to them. Think about where they are, arguing, and he makes this promise. Verse 28, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. You're with me right now. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. If I can cut to the quick once again, what's the promise? He looks at them and he makes this promise. You have a seat at my table. Wow. Remember, this table is a, is a picture of a future table in heaven where we will be with him forever. I, I don't want you to miss, they've just shown us and they've just shown Jesus how unready they are. How do I say this? It's kind of like this. They just made a three on the ACT and Jesus goes, hey, hey, you're gonna be with me at Harvard. You know, you go, what? They, they don't even qualify. Which tells us this, the seat at the banquet is not about my ACT score or my obedience or my perfection because they are absolutely, they are, they are out of the game right now. And they're getting ready to run. They're getting ready to desert him. And he looks at him and he says, your table is secure. Oh, God, what? A savior. That means my spot is secure because of his obedience and his granting. Because if, the ta- if you've got a spot at the table in heaven, do you know, that means you've come to this table. Unless you've come to this table, you don't have a spot. But when you've come to this table, And you have said, Jesus, you lived the life I could never live. You bore my sin and penalty. You were buried and raised again. I'm eating your flesh. I'm drinking your blood because I trust you fully. Unless you've done that, you don't have that security. But if you have, that can never be taken. Because it's his obedience that secures it. Oh my, grace upon grace. Let me give, let me give one, one last thought related to this. Isn't it good to know that the purpose and plan of God to redeem a fallen humanity is not thwarted by selfish, petty people like me and you. That the Christian life is not about getting our ducks in order. Oh, let's get our ducks in order, then we'll get a place. It's not about leading a church and being a part of a church that's got it all together. No, we never will. We can't. 
It's about bringing all, bringing all of our ducks when they're out of order to the Savior and trusting Him. I'm so glad, and I hope you are, that Jesus Christ does not look at you if you've trusted Him in your selfishness, in your pettiness, in our foolishness. He looks at us and he sees a place at his table where we'll be with him forever. Listen to this. When we're at that table, there will be no betrayer's hand on that table. And no one will be arguing about who's the greatest. Because we'll see him as he is. What a savior, what a friend, what a shepherd, what a Lord. So what? Would you take a moment and sit with this text and answer that question? What does it say about me? What does it say about him? And what does it call me to believe? Do you think about that for a moment?